Hello and welcome to the Massage Matters podcast. I'm Becky DeMott Horton and I'm joined today by Matt Scarsbrook. We are at the helm of the Massage Collective today as Anna is uh, tied up in clinic with uh, lots of clients who've missed her during lockdown. podcast we're going to dive into the nice guidelines that were released on the 7th of April so we've been uh, busy reading through them and familiarizing ourselves with them and these new nice guidelines cover assessing all chronic pain and the management of chronic primary pain in adults we're going to dive into this today for a couple of reasons one Obviously, as massage therapists, soft tissue therapists, manual therapists generally, we see a lot of people with chronic pain. It's probably something that comes through quite a lot. So we really feel that it's it's really important that we are familiar with the new guidelines and kind of understand some of the rationale behind it. Um, it's just an interesting thing to hopefully for Matt and I to have a bit of bit of debate over. And also with our slightly different hats on uh, with the ISRM, we were actually involved in in giving some feedback on the draft guidelines and and we might touch on some of the things that got picked up from that or didn't. So I'm going to start off by handing over to Matt. Firstly, hopefully he's just going to touch on what the relevance of NICE guidelines are um, and then dive into some of the stuff that he's picked out that's particularly relevant to us. Cool, yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with with NICE guidelines. Essentially, they are written with uh, the NHS in mind. Um, And whilst NICE guidelines are um, looked at and viewed by health organisations and people in practice uh, all over the world, predominantly they are written uh, with a view of informing what should happen within our our public healthcare system. And therefore, uh, what they're trying to do is reach a balance where... um, cost effectiveness uh, as well as clinical effectiveness are taken into account because of course you know there might be some weird and wonderful fabulous treatments but if it costs you know a trillion pounds per person it's not feasible uh, to apply uh, to a population such as ours so that's that's predominantly what nice guidelines are, nice guidelines are doing now um, obviously most massage therapists are in private practice so why is this relevant well as, as Becky alluded to for me they're relevant because a vast majority of the people we see will at some point or another particularly if they are um, living with persistent pain they will have been to the NHS they will have seen someone within the NHS who will be working broadly speaking off guidelines like this and so it can help to understand the context of the guidelines and what's in the guidelines so that when your client comes to see you and explains what they've um uh, what what treatment they've had previously or what advice they've been given previously you've got a context to put that into it's not just sort of come out of nowhere um, you know, uh, physios are, are not just making up what they're doing in, in, in the NHS. Uh, they are working to guidelines like the NICE guidelines. So on to these particular ones. So as Becky said, yeah, this is this is specifically chronic pain. Um, and then even more specifically, a terminology known as chronic primary pain. Now, um, it's a fairly new term, uh, and that's something we're going to touch on uh, later in, later in the chat, I suspect. But um, 
for context, chronic primary pain is uh, defined as having no clear underlying condition um, or that the pain and its impact is out of proportion or appears to be out of proportion to any observable injury or disease. Now, that is um, contrasted with what's now being referred to in this document as secondary pain, which may be, for example, pain associated with osteoarthritis. So that pain with an osteoarthritic knee, for example, is definitely persistent. It's not necessarily going anywhere for that individual, but we know what the causes, or at least we strongly suspect what the cause is because there's an underlying pathology we can associate it with. So essentially what these guidelines are talking about when it comes to management and, and treatment is is that non-specific pain. You know, it's, it's that pain that, that you have and you, you just can't put your finger on it as much as you might like to. Um, now it is actually, there are guidelines for quite a lot of I would say, are fairly non-specific pains, um, including lower back pain and sciatica. Um, and they're actually separate guidelines, uh, which which can get a little bit confusing, uh, admittedly. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that if it, if it comes up. But fundamentally, what we're talking about today is chronic primary pain in adults. Uh, and that is a pain that has no apparent cause. So... As Becky said, um, the way these um, documents are arrived at is they are they are years of work. You know, the 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 um, panels that are brought together to produce these are are experts uh, in in their various different fields. Some of whom are directly linked to the areas involved that the that the guidance is focused on. Some are just experts in their own fields. Um, and we also, you also have on the panels um, uh, sort of the lay person uh, as they're, they're, they're commonly known or, or, or a member of the public or a couple of members of the public uh, in order to provide a, a public view. They may be a, a patient themselves. They may have absolutely no history of, in this case, chronic pain, but they are involved to make sure that, that essentially what comes out is, is meaningful to the type of cohort who are likely to be treated. And after several years of work where people are pouring through all of the different um, data available, all the different research available, it's a bit like doing a massive meta-analysis. Um, a draft is is sent out uh, for review by uh, organisations who are known as stakeholders. And as Becky said, as the ISRM, um, we uh, have uh, we are stakeholders uh, within for, for nice guidelines, um, and uh, we we took the opportunity to respond uh, to the guidelines as we read them in in August, uh, and those responses have been um, replied to uh, as as just part of the the documentation. And um, you know, if you're interested, uh, you can you can go and find uh, all of those responses from all of the stakeholders. It's a nearly 1,200 page document. Um, it's a little bit of reading. I'm not going to lie, um, but uh, but the ISRM's uh, feedback is in there, and it's kind of those bits because it's quite personal to us as well because we were, we basically wrote them um, that that we're going to kind of touch on today. But let's cover first what does the guidance actually say? So, Becky, what what are the kind of the key takeaways that we can take uh, from the guidance? 
Yeah. So, and there's some there's some fantastic stuff from the from the key points. So, really, we're looking at um, person centred assessment and person centred care, which you know, as as soft tissue therapists, massage therapists, etc. Um, I think we've been familiar with for for quite a while now. Um, it talks about thinking about possible causes for pain, but also talking about how this pain affects the person's life and how the life affects the pain. So if you like all those psychosocial elements that we talk about quite often um, are actually being taken into account in these guidelines, um, which is really nice to see that there's been more of a focus on that. And then in terms of um, treatment, if you like, there is a move away from pharmaceuticals, sorry, in this guidance and more towards meaningful movement and exercise, which, you know, if we're keeping up to date with the evidence, most people are familiar. There's, there's, there's this good body of evidence for people that have chronic pain <coughs> taking part in meaningful movement and activity. Um, there's reducingly less good evidence for um pharmaceuticals so there's a, a move away from from that which is it, again is great to see as well now the the one thing that's caused a little bit i guess of discussion certainly within our profession there is an inclusion there of acupuncture um, and it's suggested as a potential treatment manual therapy at the moment is in the guidelines as an area for further research. So it's not there in the guidelines at the moment as a recommendation to use, um, but it's certainly not discounting it in terms of, or saying that there's any harm to it, but it's an area where there's they're asking for further investigation. So at the minute, it's not in the guidelines. Now, what's really important for me in that is that that's not to say that it, it doesn't have a place, but as Matt explained so beautifully, when, when NICE are putting these guidelines together, there is this payoff between cost and, and benefit um, and lots of other things to consider. Obviously, we know how limited time is in the NHS. Um, and at the moment, with the evidence that exists and the cost analysis is, oh, sorry, cost analysis that unfortunately doesn't exist around massage at all, um, they didn't feel it appropriate at this time to put it into the recommendations. Yeah, no, that, 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 yeah, well put it, it, and, and, and so for clarity, as I say, for, for acupuncture, it sits there as a consider, it's not a recommendation as in you must do this, whereas they're much more firm on the don't use pharmaceuticals, don't use painkillers do use exercise. Now there is a, uh, the cynical side could, could say, well, you're just switching out drugs for exercise um and you know as with anything context hugely matters and it needs to be person-centered etc but they are really really pushing the person-centered um side of things they are also pushing um psychology um sorry psychological interventions such as act um or cbt um so that's acceptance commitment therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy um but yeah manual therapy didn't make the cut and this was something that we picked up um, as part of our uh, sort of feedback, I suppose, as the ISRM, uh, because, you know, being fairly familiar with the evidence bases um, around both acupuncture and um, manual therapy, um, we took the position that essentially they're, they're 
the evidence bases are very similar. There is certainly a larger proportion of papers written looking at acupuncture or dry needling specifically. Um, but in terms of the overall balance, um, they're, they're much of a muchness. Uh, if, if, if anything, actually, there are far stronger um, levels of evidence for manual therapy uh, in certain cohorts looking at more like mental health, which is not admittedly chronic primary pain. Um, but we found it slightly odd that the two were being considered as differently as they were. And we, we sort of raised that as a question. And as, as Becky has just said, one of the, the key points that came uh, back as, you know, in a, as a response was that these are nice guidelines. These are guidelines for public health. Public health needs to have cost-benefit analysis. That happens to exist for acupuncture. It doesn't exist for manual therapy. And, you know, the... Um, I'm going to sort of paraphrase uh, here what... Um, uh, Cochrane, um, so one of the one of the Cochrane groups, the pain palliative and supportive care groups, summarised the the consideration of acupuncture as, um, which is that the recommendation to consider acupuncture was made using highly uncertain evidence base in the context of a broader, more robust and relevant evidence base that offers substantially different answer with little uncertainty. So the committee. Uh, who who made these nice guidelines try to offer reassurance that they took into account the low quality in their interpretation of the evidence, but that this does not solve the problem that when you aggregate poor quality studies, you're going to get a poor quality outcome as an answer. Um, and essentially, that's where we sit with, with manual therapy, to be quite frank, um, is that there is just not enough high quality evidence for it to lead to recommendations at this kind of level. So again, when we look more at more in depth on the acupuncture side of things, it is a consider, it's not a recommendation. And it can and then there are actually caveats, which I've not seen before, that there are caveats on how that acupuncture should be uh, applied as treatment. And those caveats are that it should only be applied a maximum of five treatment hours and that it should only be applied by an NHS band seven or lower. Now, for anyone not familiar with, with NHS banding, um, that's uh, essentially if you're a physiotherapist and you've just graduated out of uni, you come in as a band five. So band five is where you've got a degree level generally within the NHS. Uh, and then um, a band six uh, is is more senior than that. And bands by the time you're at band seven, you're probably kind of early management. I'm hoping I'm getting that that kind of right. You've probably got people reporting to you, you might be running a team, you've got some you've got some responsibility, but you are not necessarily like running a ward <laughs> um or, uh, or or you know, you're not you're not a consultant kind of level. So what they've said is try it. There's no harm, there's no there's no apparent harm, but the cost of benefit analysis is really weak. So keep it to an absolute minimum if you're providing it via a publicly funded service. Okay. And essentially uh, our understanding is that manual therapy would be included uh, in, in a similar consideration, except it doesn't have a cost benefit analysis. 
The other bit that, that's jumped out at me, which is um, which I think is particularly interesting and, and something that we commented on as ISRM, is that the acupuncture and dry needling, pretty much everyone understands what that is. It's, it, they're fairly... I think you'd agree with me, Becky, aren't you? That they're, they're fairly... We know if you're if you're using acupuncture, it's probably meridians, and if it's dry needling, it's just stick it where it hurts. Fundamentally, I apologise to anyone who uses those techniques who have just taken great offence. Um, but it, but it, they're fairly self-explanatory. Manual therapy, almost by definition, covers such a wide range of modalities, if you will. The one of the comments that the committee made when on their guidelines was they they were trying to compare both manual therapy as an umbrella term against usual care but actually because there are so many different types of manual therapy and because the research currently focuses on those different types of manual therapy say massage versus mobilizations or METs versus STR or whatever it is that they were also looking for head-to-head comparisons now one of the points that we made, um, and, and obviously we advocate for as part of the Massage Collective and on Massage Matters, is that actually the specificity of the technique is far less important than the context in which that technique is, is taking place. The fact that you're laying hands on someone is is basically the treatment. Um, and the what technique you're using is is the personal preference, not because one technique is greater than the other. Um, but unfortunately, although that might be the contemporary view, it's not the view that's held in the body of research available to these, um, committees to be able to review as part of their guidelines. And so on one hand, personally, I'm really frustrated that it seems that a guideline that's been published in 2021 is stuck in a really... I would say, old-fashioned way of thinking around manual therapy. And on the other hand, I, I sort of have to go, you know what? You're right, <laughs> because we haven't produced research that, that, that even attempts to support that idea. Um, and and what, therefore, what are you going to base your ideas on? And I think in a way... Matt, and I know it's, it's, it's never this simple with research, unfortunately, but it, it does give us a nice... I guess direction for not only the research that could be done into manual therapy, but also how we as a profession should be presenting what we do. And we've, to an extent, only got ourselves to blame in that there's that infighting between techniques in manual therapy anyway, isn't there? That, you know, we, we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast and as TMC that, you know, people are out there marketing courses based on specific techniques and they'll argue with someone else that their technique is better than theirs and and so on and and actually what we're seeing here that if what we need to be considered um in, in these types of guidelines is some clear evidence as to whether there's a benefit or not to manual therapy and actually what we see as as fairly evidence informed therapists is as you say Matt that specificity is less important there's a lot of other factors that come into play we need to push that more as an industry and make that known that this isn't about one technique over another this is about using the power of touch in collaboration with lots of other things 
that could be of some benefit to somebody in chronic pain. So I think that gives that nice kind of um, direction, if you like, but also really highlights the the problems there. And in a way, you can kind of see that, yeah, acupuncture's it's it's an easy it's an easier thing to do a trial on because you can you can be more specific in how you apply it. It is just one modality. Um, you know, and it's easier and, to blind as well. Absolutely, um, and I'd still argue maybe some of those factors that we see from benefit of manual therapy is is still present there when you've got somebody with acupuncture. Now, I, you know, I was quite surprised actually that the the limit on the time the treatment hours was five hours. That to me, in an NHS setting, sounds like a lot of somebody's time. So, you know, that's probably more time than you would get with the physio who's going to be giving you some of these meaningful movements to do. Well, so, th- that's, so that's actually a really important point. And because part of the, the um, uh, again, so obviously I mentioned the hours and I mentioned the the, the banding of the practitioner the, who, who should be um, uh, providing the acupuncture or should I say no higher than that should be applying the acupuncture. It actually does specify as well it should be in a community setting. So you're absolutely right. Within a primary care setting such as a hospital, you're not going to get an hour's worth of acupuncture. Um, so this is more likely to be happening in in sort of uh, publicly funded uh, community care settings. Um, which which again, I'd argue from that, you know, what we've talked spoken about before is... is so you're getting time with somebody probably in a slightly nicer setting than a hospital or due respect to hospitals I've spent a lot of time in them they're not always the most fancy of places to be you know you haven't had to drive miles it hasn't you know all those things that we sometimes you know we we've highlighted as as part of the package of of manual massage therapy if you like are present with that acupuncture and I'd I'd be really interested to kind of argue as to whether you can ever separate them out. And is this, you know, is is that time with a therapist, whatever they're doing to you, whether it's dry needling or it's some, you know, massage or it's some MET, it's still present, isn't it? So it's a really interesting, but again, I just, for me... I kind of I'm trying not to be biased because I don't do dry needling and I do do massage. So I'm trying not to be biased. Um, but it's I I find that a really conflicting thing to see one in the guidance and one even as just a, a consideration and one not. But I can, und- you know, having read more into it and been part of that consultation process, I can understand how that's happened. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want even more confusion, uh, and this is, again, um, a criticism I've seen levelled through other commentators uh, at the guidelines, the recent guidelines as well, is so I mentioned that this is for chronic primary pain and that this has been um, written as a guideline specifically separate from lower back pain and sciatica. So, you know, non-specific lower back pain, with or without sciatica is is basically how it's termed. So you could have non-specific lower back pain, and that is currently a different guideline to chronic primary pain. Despite the fact that I think the two are probably heavily overlapping, 
The point being that when it comes to the recommendations for the lower back pain and sciatica, manual therapy is in there as a consideration. Now, it's in there as a consideration with a uh, caveat that it should be um, only used as part of a treatment package, which includes exercise, and you can, should consider it with or without the psychology, uh, psychological, sorry, therapy as well. And so, but there, again, the guidelines are saying manual therapy, and then it it, it encapsulates in the, in the following parentheses that that can be spinal manips, mobilization or soft tissue techniques such as massage. So, so there, the consideration has been, well, manual therapies are probably more similar than they are different. And you can consider them so long as it's not the only approach. It has to be part of the more evidence-based treatments. And acupuncture should not be offered. And, and, and again, I suppose it speaks to this, this, this difficulty we have with, I guess, what I see as the, the, the history of a very biomechanically focused view of massage, manual therapies, acupunctures, that we're doing something that's physically changing the tissues, and therefore we should be able to measure that difference, um, simply not stacking up in the evidence. Uh, and and therefore the evidence is, is is on such a kind of precipice that you could literally jump either way, and clearly they have done in two different guidelines for pretty much the same thing. <laughs> so that, that that kind of leads on really nicely to to what I wanted to focus on next. In that, for me, the biggest thing that I took away from the the guidelines as they've been released is that although manual therapy isn't included as a recommendation or even a consideration at this stage. So many of the things that we all know we do as therapists are in there. So this focus around person-centered care, obviously um, it's great to see that focus in there and that we are in a great position to do that as we've discussed lots of times before. This meaningful movement as well and, and the use of exercise rather than than drugs, I think we've got a massive role that we can play in that with our clients that do come to see us. Um, and obviously, as you say, Matt, the, the, the vast majority of us are working in, in um, private practice, so we wouldn't be see any, seeing any, any NHS patients any, under the banner of the NHS. But we are going to get that overlap between patients that have been to in an NHS setting and have maybe expected something, <laughs> namely codeine, probably, um, and and then come to us slightly confused and, and and not quite grasping it. Maybe we've got a huge role there to play in helping them access exercise, helping them access movement supporting them through that journey and that's where I think it's really important that as massage and manual therapists although we're not mentioned in these guidelines that we really understand them and we understand the reasoning behind that because I think that just highlights to me more and more that there should be a purpose to our treatments and that treat that purpose should be to get somebody moving more comfortably to feel more confident to not be scared of movement that that education as well and, and all of those things that are spoken about in these guidelines are things that therapists do with their clients already. It's just that we also employ a hands-on technique to 
facilitate um, that. Enhance that. Yeah, facilitate yeah, yeah. it. Enhance it. Whatever. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, I'm, I'm so glad you, you used the, the E word, the education piece, because it is, it is big. And that is effectively, that is effectively what we are doing, perhaps should be doing. Um, I do, I'm, I'm cautious with the word education, particularly in a clinical setting, because you don't want it to sound like that sort of didactic, I tell you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, this is how it is. Um, you know, I'd, I'd sort of probably refer back to kind of Anna's Socratic teaching approach which is this this idea that actually um you're 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 drawing out of someone the right answers or the answers that 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 fit fit their needs and you know again going back to the current guidelines for this chronic primary pain um the when you're uh, assessing their pain um it mentions patient centered or person centered assessment absolutely thinks about the possible causes of pain and then talking about pain um, and providing advice and information. Now, for me, that actually demands of us as mass, actually puts demands on us as, as massage therapists to really know our shit. It, we, we really have to understand the, what, what is going on with pain um, so that we're not inadvertently giving either poor information, inaccurate information, or in fact, damaging information, because we know that belief systems around pain affect pain, <laughs> um, quite simply. And so you're absolutely, absolutely right. The education piece, we, we are educating our clients. Let's make sure we're educating them in the right way. And when we're talking about education, if, if we're reflecting on that people have different learning styles, you know, this is, this is a, um, uh, soapbox I love standing on. If, if we understand people have different learning styles, why wouldn't they learn about their pain? Different clients learn about their pain differently. Um, and, and manual therapy might be exactly the way that that person learns that mm. actually they don't have some catastrophic injury because we can make the pain go away through massage, which isn't changing the tissues, yeah. but by giving them the massage in the context, all the stuff you touched on earlier about that, that sort of um, treatment context, the pain changes. And that in itself is education provided you're not telling the client that you caused that change. You know, that that change is just part of their, their context right now. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, I think there are a lot of positives to take away from this. It is a shame that we're not mentioned specifically as massage therapists um, or, or as manual therapists, but there's a lot of positives to take away around what we actually do do. Um, but I also think there's a, there's a nice, almost call to arms that can come out of this about okay, so what are we going to do about this as a uh, as an industry, um, as a, as a community of of caring manual therapists. So yeah, I think for me, what's really interesting, although manual therapy has not been mentioned, so much of what manual therapists do has and has been shown as a valuable um, intervention in chronic pain. So. It's about seeing yourself as more than what you do with your hands and that that fits actually really well into these guidelines. 
yeah, I, I, th- I think I think then then taking that a step step further, I suppose that's where I'd like to see it go. Individual therapists recognizing they are more than what they do with their hands. That what they do with their hands is actually not that specific. It's the context. It's the time. It's it's the fact that they are providing touch. All of that stuff really really super important, and all of and and, and much of it, a great deal of it, re- in these recommendations. In order to sort of I guess, move the needle in terms of acceptance, recognition, however you want to term it, of the role of therapeutic touch in the management of things like chronic primary pain, we then need to help the wider healthcare community and the wider population see that we are more than just what we do with our hands. And, and I think that that comes back to, you know, we can support that with, with research if we stop trying to get one over on each other with the techniques or if we stop trying to justify a given technique under a given circumstance based on a biomechanical outcome. Um, why can't we just be, be happy to say, actually, manual therapy is like ice cream. This is going to be a weird analogy, guys. I do apologise. I'm looking forward to this. Manual therapy is like ice cream. Ice cream is ice cream. Everyone loves ice cream, but everyone has a different favourite flavour. Yeah? And so you can pick your favourite flavour. Does this analogy even work? Should I Should I be editing this? I'm just thinking about ice cream. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> but let's go for it for now, because let, let's keep it in, um, because uh, I love ice cream. So, yeah, why can't think- we just sort of say it's like ice cream? Does ice cream help with lower back pain or not? It might do. Does the flavour you pick matter? Not in the least. <laughs> well, there we are. I want I want ice cream in nice guidelines from now on. But I think you make a really good point, Matt. It's a great analogy. But I also think you make a really good point about an, an opportunity here for, I don't want to say recognition, but I've used the term before, making sure we have a seat at the table when we talk about musculoskeletal care. Because this is... I know you look at it, Matt, often from a a research and academia point of view. I'm I'm thinking about it even on a smaller level than that. If If a client has been to an NHS physio or in an NHS setting and they they've followed these guidelines and then that client comes to see me and they go back for their next appointment within the NHS and they go, oh, actually, I went to see this soft tissue therapist. They've supported me to move. They've given me this advice. And and that really comes across that that soft tissue therapist they've gone and seen has a knowledge of best practice for chronic pain, is supporting what's being done under those guidelines. We change the perception of us or we improve the perception of us because they're thinking, crikey, actually, that's really useful and that's what I didn't have time to do with that client or that client just needed a little bit more time to get that or some, you know, even if it's the the, the therapist has stood in the room and done their exercises with them, it, it, it's just, it's enhanced what they've done rather than, oh, I've, I've been to see this therapist and they've told me my chakras aren't aligned and my SI joint is out of place and they've done this and they've stretched my IT band or whatever that's what gets us discounted I think yeah. no, absolutely I think I, I think that's a lovely summary as well I was just trying to think because um, we haven't really planned a, a um, uh, 
theory to practice element for today because we did just want to come on and, and, and natter about these guidelines. But I think I think probably the theory to practice is go and read these guidelines. Familiar, so familiarize yourself with these ones and the other guidelines. Recognize where they sit, what what the context for the guidelines being written are, and then reflect on how you can pull as much as possible out into your practice as a manual therapist without changing what it is that you do as a manual therapist. Because it, it, it's, it's not telling you to change in that regard, but it is saying, actually, there's a lot of stuff we do need to consider here. And then for anyone who is interested in wanting to help move the needle – Let's think about how we can better represent ourselves as an industry, what we do with our hands, what we don't do with our hands, uh, and how how incredible a support network uh, we can help provide um, these these clients with with chronic primary pain. So thank you very much for joining us today. Hopefully you enjoyed mine and Matt's musings over it. As ever, when you've had a chance to read the guidelines and reflect on them, or if you already have and, and you've listened to this, we'd really be interested to know your take on things and, and what you've been taking away from this. Um, you can find us on social media at the Massage Collective. We always want to hear from people and, and move things forward. So hopefully you've enjoyed today we are the massage collective becky demott horton matt scarsbrook and our missing member anna maria mazzieri and we will catch you again soon <laughs>